iglesia. Song of Solomon, chapter number 2, and uh, we're going to be looking at this chapter in its entirety. Now, anytime a pastor tells a church on a Sunday morning to open the Song of Solomon, some people get really, really nervous. And uh, this is a book that is not preached out of much. Uh, we did an entire Bible study out of it on a Wednesday evening from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to the end of chapter number 8. And boy, our folks got a lot out of it. And uh, I promise to keep things uh, in a PG to PG-13 range this morning. And uh, trust me, it could be far worse. We'll, but we'll, we'll be in passages today that I think will be of great help to all of us. And uh, the truth is, we live in a rated R culture, do we not? And so if uh, we're exposed to rated R all the time, and we're getting rated PG-13 at church, then we're okay. Amen? Well, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 1 down through verse number 7. Verse 1 through verse number 7. We'll begin reading together in verse 1, and we'll read every other verse together down through the verse number 7. Together, beginning in verse 1. Ready? Here we go. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the tree of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hens of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Well, we're beginning a new series for the month of May, entitled Relationship Reset. And today's sermon is entitled this, How a Christian Ought to Court. Now, that word court is not really used much anymore. Uh, the word date is far more common, how a Christian ought to date. But courting someone is the same idea. So let's talk about Christian dating this morning out of the Song of Solomon chapter 2. And let's pull some things out of the passage here that will encourage all of us. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to understand uh, the, the verses before us. And Lord, uh, may some young people here be encouraged to be uh, pure and clean in an impure and filthy world. Lord, help some husbands and wives here to commit to get back to courting and dating each other. Lord, we have some single adults in the room that, uh, Lord, uh, can easily be influenced by the wrong way. And then, Lord, those who, uh, where maybe uh, they fall in between and none of these things apply, all of us have an influence on the generation coming up. All of us need to understand the biblical model and need to convey that to those within our own scopes of influence. So help us today to take the message and, uh, Lord, be, uh, be made better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may, you may be seated. Well, there are a lot of reasons to feel as though life is hard. There are a lot of reasons in life for people to be miserable. Um, health is a good reason for someone to be miserable. You ever just felt crummy? You know what I mean? A day, a week, two weeks, and your health is just off. Uh, maybe you've battled cancer and had to go through chemotherapy or radiation, and uh, life just quality of life can just really struggle because of health. Here's another one. How about unmet expectations? You have your hopes set high, right? There's going to be a promotion at work, and you've put in for that 
promotion, you've put in for that position, that opening, and that uh, rival coworker of yours who's the total kiss up to the boss gets it and you don't. And uh, boy, you walk around for a couple of days and your expectations are unmet. Maybe you here and you study hard for a quiz or test at school and you go in and you sit down and your mind goes blank when it's time to take that test. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's ever happened to you? And uh, you get that test grade back and it didn't meet your expectation. You worked hard. Uh, maybe you had an expectation of the stock market performing in such a way and uh, you lost a lot of money in that way. How about this one, strained finances? How many of you here know what it means to be at some point in your life, current or in the past, to be under heavy consumer debt? You know what I'm talking about, to be under heavy consumer debt. Boy, it makes life hard, and uh, you uh, get behind on a credit card bill, and you keep getting all these calls from random numbers, and you know there, there are people harassing you, and they want their money, right? Uh, strained finances. Maybe you are able to pay your bills and you're responsible and you've got your ducks in order and then all of a sudden some bill comes out of nowhere and your finances are strained and your life begins to become miserable. All of these have the potential to create misery, but one struggle creates more sure misery than all the rest and that is relationship struggles. Relationship strife equals misery. Let me say that again. Relationship strife equals misery. To have relationship strife means to be miserable. Uh, you, have a, you have it out with your parents. You're still living at home and you have it out with your parents and your mom or dad just really let you have it and uh, things aren't good between them. And you go to school and you act like things are great, but down inside your heart, you know they're not. Uh, maybe you're not getting along with a brother or a sister. Maybe you're not getting along with a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever the case would be. When your relationships stink, life stinks. Someone uh, Sometimes when working on a computer, I find that my computer or a computer I'm working on isn't working right. Right, uh, You open up a program and you get the, the spinning circle of doom. How many know what the spinning circle of doom is? And uh, the blue screen of death. If you own a Windows computer, then you know what the blue screen of death is. And uh, the computer is just slow and you, you load a web page. And uh, Have you noticed all that bar? That completion bar will shoot 90% of the way across and then hold right there and not move. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, you are a stinking liar. Don't, why did you move so far across? And, um, you know, sometimes when you're having a computer problem and you call for tech support, you know, the very first thing they always tell you to do is reboot your device. Hit the reset button. Hit the reset button. And sometimes when it comes to our relationships, we need to go back to the Bible and we need to hit the reset button on how we're doing relationships, on how we're interacting with people. Because when we don't do that, uh, what we find is that we just keep repeating the same problems over and over again. And the old cliche definition of insane is doing that and expecting different results. And if you're going to keep doing what you've been doing, then you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. We understand that this morning? We understand that this morning? We must make sure we hit the reset button on our relationships when our relationships continue to be broken. Now, everyone has an opinion on how our relationships should work, but it isn't opinions that matter. It is truth that matters. You come in here this morning and you bring in your own preconceived ideas from the way you were raised. 
uh, the environment you were raised in, what uh, the TV industry and the music industry has pushed on you, what uh, teachers in a classroom push on you. You have the pastor pushing a, 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 a way of relationship on you. and You have all these voices coming at you from all these different directions. Everyone has an opinion on how you should date and be married and parent and, and, and how friendships should work and uh, how far is too far and how much is too much and when you should cut and run. And All these different opinions are coming in, but really, truthfully, it's not my opinion that matters and it's not your opinion that matters. It's truth that matters and God's Word is truth. We must stick to the Bible. We must stick to truth. And interestingly enough, the Bible has a whole lot to say about the four topics we're going to be looking at over the next four Sundays. Dating, marriage, parenting, and friendship. So let me address the relevance issue. Some of you see the title up there on the screen, How a Christian Ought to Court. And you think, oh, Pastor... I've been married for 60 years. I've been married for 40 years. I've been married for 30 years. Pastor, I'm a widow, and I'm done with the whole dating scene. How in the world is this going to help me? Or, Pastor, I'm single, and I'm well beyond the desire to even date anymore. How is this going to help me? And you look at the title, and you think, how this is not relevant. And I would say two things to you. First of all, it is selfish of you to think that every time you come to church, every sermon has to fit for you perfectly. Selfish. Okay? Um, We want church to be like a buffet. Where we go and get our plate and go up and we pick a little bit of this and we pick a little bit of that. You know what I find at buffets is that the quality of food really isn't, usually isn't very good. Church isn't like a buffet. Church is more like a fine dining experience. You order off of a menu and what the, what's put down in front of you may not always be your favorite, but it's going to be cooked a lot better. And so let's not roll our eyes and check out just because the sermon may not perfectly apply to you. All right. The second thing I would say is that we need a church full of people that has God's mind on dating and courtship because everyone in here has some scope of influence over someone uh, who is going to date or is dating. And so we need to understand what the Bible says so we can then turn around and use that. If you have children in here, especially if you have teenagers in here, or young adults that are unmarried in here, boy, you need this message so that it can help you. The other thing I would say is that if you were married in the room this morning, whether you've been married for a couple of weeks or you've been married for decades, you need to hear this message because it's not enough just to date to get married. You need to continue to date your spouse even after uh, you're married. You need to continue to put forth the effort. Now, I'm not a man who hunts. I don't hunt per se. I've never been out hunting. I think once when I was 13 or 14, I went out with a guy who was hunting and I watched him do it. We didn't even see anything to shoot at. But I get the thrill of the hunt. I get why a man would get up at 4.30 in the morning and put on warm clothes and trek through the snow and climb up in a deer stand and sit there with his gun and wait for that monster buck to come walking by. And and you ladies think, I don't get it, although some ladies hunt. And uh, he holds that gun up. And at that moment, the adrenaline rush of seeing that animal come by and knowing I'm going to provide for my family based on this kill, the adrenaline rush is the reason why a man would sit in a tree stand and shiver, just about shiver to death, for two or three hours. And I would just say to you that in the dating world, 
There is a lot of adrenaline that goes in. We're trying to put our best foot forward. We're trying to catch the other one's eye and the other one's heart. But if we're not careful, we'll get married and we'll stop doing what worked to get us married. We'll stop doing and we'll just coast. And so uh, married couples need to court. Let me talk about the book of Song of Solomon here for just a moment if I could. Okay, There are two main views of the book. Uh, the first one I'll call the traditional view. The traditional view. And in the traditional view, Solomon is painted as a picture of Christ. And the young lady in the book, who is a farm girl, she is painted as a picture of the church. Uh, that is the traditional view. I do not hold to the traditional view. Then there is the contemporary view. The contemporary view. And here is how this book lays out with the contemporary view. You have a young man who is a shepherd. In fact, very early on in the book, the young lady talks about her fiancé being a shepherd. Uh, she's engaged to be married. And so the shepherd is the picture of Christ. The farm girl in the contemporary view is a picture of the church. And Solomon, King Solomon, is a picture of Satan. Satan. Now let me explain to you why I hold to the contemporary view. Take your Bibles over to Song of Solomon chapter 6 and look with me at verse number 8. Song of Solomon chapter 6 and verse number 8. Here in Song of Solomon 6, Solomon is saying his goodbyes to this young lady. She's getting ready to leave the palace and he's saying to her in his goodbye, he's saying to her, I don't know why you won't cave and get in line with everyone else. Look at verse number 8. He says, there are three score queens, that means he already had 60 wives, and four score concubines, and that's 80 uh, women, uh, we'll talk about that word concubine in a moment, and virgins without number, virgins without number. You know what Solomon is telling this young lady, who in my opinion has slapped his hand away, has slapped down his advances? You know what Solomon is uh, trying to say to this young lady? 60 women have already married me, I have 80 women in the palace who are here for one purpose, and that's to, that's to sleep with me whenever I want to sleep with them. And I get it's filthy, I get it's disgusting, and this is exactly why I don't think that Solomon is a picture of Christ. And he says there are virgins without number. What had Solomon had done is he had built a house that was virgin girls were brought into this house. They were bathed in perfumes. They were prepared. And when Solomon wanted to sleep with a virgin, he would call for a virgin girl to be sent over. Not only was that virgin house full, but there was a waiting list of girls wanting to get in there. Solomon is looking at this young lady who wants nothing to do with him. And she, he's saying to her, I don't understand you. I have 60 women who I'm married to. I have 80 women I regularly sleep with on top of that. And there's a house full of girls who are virgins, who can't wait to get their hands on me. What is your problem? Now, I have a hard time believing that that guy is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon would, uh, would end up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can I just say, that's a lot of pair of, of pantyhose hanging over the shower. Amen? Um. Angela has her hands full with one husband. I have my hands full with one wife. I can't imagine being married to 700 people. That is crazy. What do we get here? We get from this that Solomon had a preoccupation with sex. 
Solomon was drunk on the act of marriage, the act that belongs in marriage. On top of that, later in the book, his wives reference Solomon's desire to drink liquor out of this young lady's belly button. That is strip club talk. I have a hard time believing that Solomon could have been a picture of Christ. Here is what I believe the narrative of the book. All right, listen closely. Two peasant folks, two poor peasant folks, a shepherd and a farm girl, were in love and engaged to be married. The one a shepherd boy and the other a farm girl. One day, while out and about, Solomon saw this farm girl working her farm and noticed how beautiful she was. He ordered to have her picked up and in reality kidnapped and taken back to the palace where he would try to woo her heart and convince her to marry him. In chapter 1, the farm girl finds herself in a difficult position. She's standing in the palace. There are 130 women who are jealously trying to get rid of this new girl. And Solomon has come in and tried to convince her to marry him. In chapter 2, the farm girl explains to Solomon that she is already in love with another man and has no interest in marrying King Solomon. Now, with all this in mind, with all this in mind, let's look at this righteous couple, this dating couple, this shepherd boy and this farm girl. Let's look at this couple and let's draw out uh, some things about their dating life, their courting life, and let's see how they, how they pursued a romantic interest in each other and they did it in a way that pleased the Lord. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you disagree with my view of Song of Solomon. Can I ask you to be kind to me, and I promise I will be kind to you. I don't know that I'm right. I may get to heaven and find out that my view of Song of Solomon was 180 degrees wrong, okay? That very well may happen. I can't stand behind that my interpretation of the book is is accurate fully. I believe it is. I strongly believe it is. I may get to heaven and find out I'm wrong, but here's what I'll say. To all of you here this morning, whether you agree with my view on the book or not, I think all of us will agree with the points of application we'll take out of the book and apply to Christian dating, uh, apply to dating in the, in the sense of the Christian realm um, this morning. So let's look at a, a handful of thoughts here. Uh, let's see, five thoughts on this topic of how a Christian ought to court. All right, point number one, let me encourage you to take notes, especially you teenagers. Please get a pen and paper out and take some notes And uh, all of us here today, let's take some notes here. Notice point number one, their purity, their purity. Look at Song of Solomon chapter number two and look at verse number one. Song of Solomon chapter number two and look at verse number one. The Bible says here the young lady is speaking to Solomon, okay? She says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Look at verse two. Look here. As the lily among thorns... So is my love among the daughters. Now, let me pause there. All right, here's how this works. She's standing in the palace. She's got Solomon in front of her trying to convince her to marry him. There are 130 women present in this room who are the make up the daughters of Jerusalem. These are, for a simplistic way of putting it, 
These are the wives, if you will, wives and concubines of Solomon. She's looking back at them, and she looks back at Solomon and says, I am the lily among the thorns. In fact, Song of Solomon chapter 1 opens up with these women, these daughters of Jerusalem, explaining in very sensual terms their love for Solomon. It is physically descriptive of Solomon's physique. And she looks back at them and says, I am the lily among the thorns. I am the one that's pure amongst those who are impure. Look at verse 3. She says, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood. She says, uh, let's finish it up. So was my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet in my taste. You know what she was saying? Of all of the trees that are in the wood, my fiancé is different. He's different. You know what is different? I want all of you here today, especially that are unmarried and considering the dating scene, to make sure you have your Bible out with me. If you don't have a Bible, get one out of the pew there in front of you or look on someone's with yours. You know what was different about these two folks? They were pure when everyone else around them was impure. They were pure when the culture around them was impure. Do you know that God calls the Christian to live a life of purity? And I just want to show you how serious God takes this in the New Testament. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 29. We're going to do a little Bible study here. Romans chapter 1 and verse 29. I cannot tell you enough how important it is for God, for God, that you live pure in an impure world. Romans chapter 1, and look with me at verse number 29. Again, we're going to look at a lot of verses here, so keep up, okay? The Bible says they're being filled with all unrighteousness. Notice the next word, fornication, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. Notice that word fornication. What does that word fornication mean? That word fornication is any sexual act outside of the bonds of marriage. Any sexual act outside of the bonds of marriage. And marriage as is defined by God. All right. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to be working left to right in your Bible. So from Romans, turn to the right one book and find 1 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says here in Romans 1, rather, that we just looked at, one marker of folks who are lost in sin is that they are fornicators. They live in fornication. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Here Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He says, It is reportedly reported commonly that there is fornication among you, among the church, and such fornication as is not as much uh, not, so, uh, not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And so uh, here, and look down at verse number 9. Look down at verse number 9. Uh, he wrote here, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to, keep, not to company with fornicators. So what's he saying? In your church, there are people who are living a fornicating lifestyle. That means they're living together without being married. They're sleeping around with one another. They are uh, performing the act that belongs to a married couple outside of the bonds of marriage, and this is not good. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 18. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 18. The Bible says, flee fornication. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without his body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against 
His own body. Did you know that there is one sin that raises above the rest? Every sin a man commits, Paul tells us here, is without the body, but the sin of fornication is a sin stained against your very own body. Look down just a handful of verses at chapter 7 and verse number 2. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that if you have such a strong urge in this area, then get married. That's what God created that act for. He created for the bonds of marriage. And so if that's so strong in you, then get married. But never is it okay outside of marriage. Turn over to Galatians. Galatians. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, two books to the right. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 19. By the way, the verses that we're looking at this morning are just a small percentage of the verses in the Bible that address this topic. Uh, I'm trying to overwhelm your senses with how many verses are in the Bible on this topic, specifically to the New Testament church. Look at Galatians 5.19. The Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These are the works of the flesh, adultery. That's when a husband or wife cheats on their spouse. Fornication. That's when two unmarried people sleep together. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are works of the flesh. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. One book to the right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. In verse number 3, this is no uh, small matter with the Lord. This is a big deal. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, look here, let it, be, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Everybody look up here. You know what Paul is telling the church of Ephesus? He's saying when it comes to these sins right here, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, when it comes to these sins right here, it shouldn't even be once named among you. Paul is saying you should be able to look out over the church body and you should not be able to find a single person living in the act of fornication. It should not be once, not once, named among you. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Again, to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse number 3. Again, one more verse on this idea of fornication being a sin. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. I'm going to make a statement here that will be somewhat incendiary, but I think helpful. I, Pastor Lejeune is pro-choice. What do I mean by pro-choice? I think you have the choice to abstain before you get married. Amen? abstinence is God's plan. Hey, young ladies, if you don't want an unwedded pregnancy, then don't commit the act that will get you pregnant. You have a choice. You have a choice to maintain your purity. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Now before we read this verse... I want to, you to understand that my intensity this morning and my tone this morning is not meant to come across as hateful or mean or unkind. The intensity in my voice this morning is meant to help hammer home the point that purity matters to God. 
Purity matters to God. It absolutely matters to God. It's very important. There was a youth pastor who was trying to drive home this point to his youth group. And the young ladies in that particular youth group were very loose with their bodies. And so he, took, uh, he had his wife, the youth pastor had his wife, take those young ladies into a room where they had a Sunday school type atmosphere. And the wife brought in a rose that was very large and expensive. And he handed, she handed the rose to the first young lady and said, I want each of you to pass this rose and I want all of you to just rub the petals. Just take your fingers for a moment and just rub the petals. And that rose made, made its way around the room to the 15 or 20 girls. And when that rose was handed back to the youth leader, that rose didn't look so pretty anymore. Why, that rose had been passed around. That rose had been touched. I just want to say this to you today, that God made you, God created you, God loves you, God has a plan for you. If you're saved today, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He lives inside of you. You may be here today and think, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not, um, I'm not valuable. I don't have worth. And I'll do whatever it takes to gain a man's love. I'll do whatever it takes to gain a man's favor. I want that love. I want that attention, my friend. You should value yourself enough to know that God made you a temple, that you have value, you have worth, and you are to keep yourself pure, and you are to keep yourself for your wedding day, for that spouse that God has made you for. Look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, look here, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him uh, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a story about a young lady who went to a public school. In this public school, the uh, 10th, 11th, 12th grade girls would show up on Monday and talk about how, the, how they had scored the previous weekend. And scored meant they had gotten a boy in bed. And each week they would all talk about how they had scored. One girl in the youth group, one, rather one girl in the school, had maintained her virginity. She was still a, a pure young lady. And instead of going out uh, looking for boys on the weekend and hooking up with boys on the weekend, she went to church. And uh, boy, the other girl started to pick on her and make fun of her. And she endured that for quite some time. And finally, after months and months and months of being ribbed and poked and made fun of and jeered and ostracized and pushed out, she finally one day spoke up and she said to them in the locker room, she said, At any time I want, I can become like you. But you will never get to be like me. You will never get to be like me. Christian, if you are saved, you are owned by the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have great value. You have great worth. It's time to see yourself in light of the way that God sees you. Go back to Song of Solomon chapter 2 and look with me at verse number 2. Here, the young lady says to Solomon, as the lily among thorns, the lily among thorns. Young ladies in the room, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a lily? Are you a pure lily amongst 
corrupted thorns. We walk around this world and young ladies and young men are made fun of if their virginity is kept intact. They're put down, they're made fun of, they're ridiculed, they're mocked. God says here, this young lady rather said here, I am a lily among thorns. Verse 3, as the apple tree among the trees of wood. Young men, you're called to stand out. Couples, you're called to date with purity. To date with purity. It is not ever appropriate for a man and a woman who are unmarried to climb in bed together and sleep together. Premarital sex is a sin. It is a sin. And I just want to say this morning that this world needs young men and young women who will neglect the culture and forget Hollywood and push aside the music industry and push away the hookup culture and all the things that that represents and say, my body belongs to the Lord and it is a vessel and I'm going to keep it protected and pure and I'm going to be pure to the wedding day and I'm going to be pure through the wedding day. Let me just say this morning that that does not happen on accident. I was raised in a Christian home. I heard sermons like this all the time growing up. I heard it at church. I heard it at youth camp. I heard it at youth conference. I heard it in the car rides with my parents. And then the day came that I met my beautiful wife. And you know what? I was attracted to her beauty. And there came a day where, boy, it got tough. Just being honest. You know, I'm so good looking, I just could not keep her off of me. It was more like the other way around. Amen? You say, Pastor, how tough was it? Well, we were engaged. We've been dating a little over a year. We were engaged. And uh, we were committed to be pure to the wedding altar. We were Bible college students. We were attracted to each other. I left college and moved to Baltimore and finished up my last six credits of school uh, via summer school in order to put 750 miles distance between us so we wouldn't fool around and mess up. You see, if you're going to do what's right, you have to make yourself accountable and you have to take strong measures. Oh, my friends, we live in a day where sex is worshipped. We live in a day where culture is so sexually charged. We live in a day where the goddess the goddess of the Old Testament that was worshipped with a temple there in Corinth where the priests and priestesses were prostitutes. We live in a day where religion has been stripped off of that, but the sin permeates our culture. And I just want to say to you this morning, to all of you here today that are single, I just want to say to you this morning, make a commitment before God that you're going to give yourself to purity. You may be here today and say, Pastor, I'm single, but I gave up my virginity a long time ago. Can God still use me? And I would say absolutely yes. You see, purity is a daily choice. It is a daily choice. You may have been impure in your past. But that doesn't mean that you can't begin today being pure. I've known couples who were living together that got saved. The young man looked at the young lady and said, we're living in sin. I'm going to move out. We're going to do this the right way. That's not easy to do. I've known teenagers who've gotten saved and said to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, 
hey, this relationship is not good for my faith. And this relationship is not taking me in the right direction. We're going to need to cut this off. Boy, that's not an easy decision, but my friend, God calls you to purity. How a Christian ought to court, notice number one, their purity. Notice number two, his protection. His protection. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 2 and look at verse number 3 with me again. The Bible says, As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. Look here. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. You know what? This young lady said, I at times feel as though I'm weary and I'm tired and I'm uh, out in the heat in the sun being a farm girl. She said, where do I find my protection? I find it under his shadow. I find it his shadow. Take your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. An interesting thing begins to happen when boys and girls hit the fifth and sixth grade. Their body begins to process food a little bit differently. The male body uh, begins to turn food into muscle mass. The young lady begins to turn food into fat cells as she, her body begins to prepare for the childbirth process and the nurturing Process. God makes the man, all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God makes the man for the purpose of protecting his wife. First Peter tells us that the woman is the weaker vessel. That does not mean she's inferior. That does not mean that she's less. That just means that she has a different role. And it is the duty and responsibility of the man to protect the woman that God puts in his life. Look at verse number 25 of Ephesians 5. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water, washing of water by the word. We see here a spiritual protection, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. What does God tell us? God tells us that He gave, get, has given us the marriage union of a man and a woman coming together to show us a picture of Christ and His love for the church. And what does Christ do? He protects the church from the impurities of a sinful world. I'm so thankful that God has given me a wife who is willing to follow my leadership spiritually. I'm so thankful that when I have looked at my wife and said, I don't think that's something we should watch on TV, or I don't think that's a place for us to go, or I don't think that that decision is going to have a positive impact on her home. I'm so thankful for a wife who's been willing to listen and consider what I say, and even in moments of disagreement, been able to say, okay, you're the leader, you're my spiritual protector, I will follow you where you lead me. I would just say to the dating couples this morning, young lady, pick a man who's not a pushover wimp. I see so many boys today that have become so emasculated. You know, they, um, they couldn't hold down a job if it was the last thing they had to do. Um, I've seen boys, the best thing they know how to do is use their thumbs on an ABXY gamepad. And I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about boys in their 30s and 40s. Still living in mama's basement. Hey, young ladies, if you're involved in a dating relationship with a boy like that, you need to cut and run. You need to get a man who knows how to hold down a job and knows how to hold a Bible in his hand and knows how to love Jesus. 
his protection. He offered a spiritual protection, but he also offered her a physical protection. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Physical protection. When you get into a dating relationship with someone, you need to understand that dating or courting is the car that takes us to the destination of marriage. Let me say that again. Dating or courting is the car or the vehicle that takes us to the destination of marriage. Now, I'm going to take a pause here from preaching the Bible, and I'm going to insert my opinion. All right? I'm clearly stating this is my opinion. Everybody on board with me this morning? All right. I could take some Bible verses and uh, back this up a little bit, but this would fall under biblical opinion. Okay? Here is my strong opinion. Teenagers should not date. That's my opinion. Uh, some of you in here may be teenagers and you may be dating. Now let me just uh, let me lay this out for you logically. All right? Dating is what we use to get married. So if you aren't going to be getting married anytime soon, then why get in the car when you can't arrive at the destination? You're just going to ride around? You know what happens when we ride around? We run the risk of getting into an accident. We run the risk of making mistakes. Hey, listen, God is working to develop you emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Did you know that the front cortex of the brain is not finished developing until you're 25 years old? You say, oh, but I'm in love with my boyfriend. I'm in love with my girlfriend. When I see her, my little heart goes Peter, Patter, Pumpkin, Nickel. Arid's Cupid's arrow has found me. You know, I do believe that a teenager can love another teenager. I do believe that, but I believe that the capacity to love is similar to like a small glass versus a gallon jug. And as you get older, your capacity to love that other person grows as you develop. And listen, understand, uh, young ladies and young men that are dating each other or have a desire to date, that young ladies, you're looking for a man who will be that protector. And young men, you look, make sure you are growing in a way where when God brings a young lady to you, you're ready to be that protector. Get spiritually strong. Get physically strong. And be ready to be that protector. Uh, number one, their purity. Number two, his protection. Number, notice number three, his provision, his provision. Look with me at Song of Solomon chapter 2 and look at verse number 3. The Bible says, As the apple tree among the trees of wood, the young lady again is speaking to Solomon, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and the fruit was sweet to my taste. Look here. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. You know what he did? He took the time to take her out to, on a date. He took her to a fancy dinner, and he made her feel special. Take your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 2. Hold your place in Song of Solomon. Genesis chapter 2. It is the duty of the man to be the provider for the woman. And this is God's original intent. Now, I know we live in a culture and a time where the reverse is pushed on us. And I know we live in a culture and time where sometimes... It works the other way around, and sometimes it just works. There are cases where the 
husband stays home and takes care of the children and the wife goes to work and brings home the money. And if you're in a marriage that works that way and it's functioning, then don't change a thing, man. If that's working and you all have that figured out, then keep moving forward, keep doing it. But I'm going to tell you right now that God's original intent, it was for the man to work outside the home and provide and for the woman to take care of the home. I'm not saying it's wrong for a woman to work. I'm not saying it's a sin for a woman to work. If you can work and provide for your home, ladies, then by all means, go for it. But God's intent was for the man to be the breadwinner, to be the provider. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So what did God make man to do? God made man to do a four-letter word. Everybody look up here. Work. W-O-R-K. Work. Young ladies, if you're dating a boy who complains about being tired all the time, you need to understand, men, we work. We work. A couple of times I've been in between jobs, and Angela will tell you I went absolutely stir-crazy. I had to do something. And I find that people who apply for jobs on the Internet, which is the way our culture is today, you know what? Getting a job off the Internet is like winning the lottery. It's tough. Anytime I've been without a job, I have applied online, and then I've gone door-to-door, 40 hours a week. Hey, can you hire me? Can you hire me? And you know what I find is that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. People hire you. You get out there and you pound the pavement. You work it. There is, God made man and put it in his nature to work and to provide. And it is a culture that has emasculated our men and taught them to sit around and do nothing and complain. And that brings about a lot of, a lot of problems. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse number 16. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Notice the punishment given to the woman versus the punishment given to the man after they sinned. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth of thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. So you see here that God's punishment for Eve was pain and childbearing, and God's punishment for Adam was that it would be more difficult to go to work and provide for Eve. This is first mention in the Bible of a relationship between a man and a woman when it comes to our respective roles. And young ladies, you need to make sure that you're dating a young man who knows how to work and knows how to provide both physically and spiritually and emotionally and monetarily. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Paul told Timothy, he said, but if any provide not for his own, notice the male pronoun there, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. The Otis is on the man to provide. Now, a practical piece of advice for those of you going out on dates. Ladies, let the man pay for dinner. 
Amen? If you get down to where it's time to pay, and the man looks at you and says, I can't, I, I don't, can, can you, I, I don't get paid till Friday. That's a good sign you need to find someone else. Amen? Um, she said, she said, he, I sat under his tree. And again, this is metaphorical. I sat under his tree, and there was a shadow that protected me. And then he took me to the banqueting house. He doted all over me. He spoiled me. He made me feel special. His banner over me is love. Provision, provision. Another reason why I don't think it's a good idea for teenagers to date is that most teenagers don't have any money. (laughs) They just don't have any money. Some 16-year-old boy looks at his dad and says, uh, Dad, I don't need you anymore. i got it figured out. And Dad looks at him and says, Do you know how interest on a car loan works? Can you tell me what a mortgage is? And Can you tell me what it means to work 40 hours a week? Can you tell me what it means to provide and work even when you're tired and sick and you go to work and you don't feel good? Do you know what that means? You remember the story of the prodigal son, how he took his father's inheritance, had no concept of money, went into a foreign country, filthy rich now, he had half of all of his dad's wealth. And you know what he did? He didn't invest it. He didn't go get a job. He went and lived a party life. And after all the money was wasted on women and friends and food and alcohol, a famine hit the land and he landed in a pig's pen. You know, in part because he was not ready to be a man. He was not ready to be a man. Hey, listen, when we're talking about courting, I know that this sounds old-fashioned. I know that this doesn't jive with 2021 and the model that's out there. I know that this is an unpopular type of preaching. I know that the culture will tell you differently than what I'm saying. I know I'm swimming upstream against everything the culture would tell you today, but I would just say, look at marriages in America. They're broken. They're poorly broken. They're badly broken. We need people who will date and court and get married the Bible way. Their purity, their his protection, his provision. Notice number four, their passion, their passion. Look back with me at Song of Solomon chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. The young lady is speaking here. She says, for I am sick of love. You know what she's saying? She said, I am lovesick. Cupid's arrow has found me. Oh, I just swoon when I think about him. His left hand, and she's imagining this now, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. There was a physical attraction present in this couple. She was attracted to him. He was attracted to her. Let me just take a moment out of the sermon, if I could, and address those of you here who maybe don't have any sort of um, passion when it comes to uh, desire uh, toward the other gender. You're not attracted toward the other gender. You may be here, and that may be you, and you may feel like, is there something wrong with me? And I would say to you, no, there is nothing wrong with you. Take your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter number 56 and verse number 3. 
Isaiah 56, verse 3. Now, uh, while we uh, encourage our young people to date and get married, there are some folks God calls to be single their entire life. And that does not make you weird. That does not make you strange. That does not make you odd or different. No, that means God has a very, very special plan for you. Look at Isaiah 56 and look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, uh, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch, the eunuch. A eunuch is a, a, a person who is, is celibate, uh, 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 abstains from any sort of sexual activity for a lifetime. Look here. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. And Choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Look here. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You know what uh, the Bible is saying here is if God has called you to be a eunuch, there is a special relationship He has for you There is a special place for you in his kingdom for those who remain celibate and serve the Lord. Let me get back to talking to those of you who um, aren't born eunuchs. You have a desire toward the opposite gender. Proverbs 18.22 says this. It says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor from the Lord. My dad grew up in a very broken home. My dad is the uh, youngest of four boys. They were all born one year apart. Shortly after my dad was born, my grandmother and grandfather got a divorce. When my dad turned eight years old, my uh, grandfather was found on a side of a road having put a bullet through his brain. He committed suicide. My grandmother had boyfriends move in and out of the house like a revolving door. I think when my grandmother passed away, she had been married something like eight or nine times. My grandmother grew up in a very difficult home. She was the youngest of 10 or 11 children. Never, ever seemed to gain the approval of her parents, no matter how well she did at school. She brought home anything other than a straight-A report card. She was not just spanked, she was beaten. Grounded to her room for sometimes 30 days at a time. Somewhere along the way, my father looked at his generations of brokenness. My father made the determination that he wasn't going to repeat history. He made the determination that He was going to get married to one woman and stay married to her his whole life. And he was going to wait till his wedding night before he intimately knew the woman he loved. And you know what? My father looked a generational curse in the eye and he said, We're going to overcome. And he did. Some of you in here today, you come from a broken home, just like my dad. 
All you know is brokenness, boyfriends in and out of the house. Can I tell you that God has something very special for you? I stand here today as the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. I'm the oldest of seven children. My mom would walk us through the grocery store, and um, people would stop her and say, Are these all yours? And she'd say, yep. By the same husband? And she'd smile real big and say, yep. And people would say, wow. Today, to my knowledge, all seven of us are in church. Six of us waited until our wedding night before we intimately knew a woman. And the seventh is single, wanting desperately to be married. You're a young lady in here in your 20s. See me after church. Amen? I'll show you a picture. He's a good-looking kid. Here's the point I'm making. When you go off and you give away your purity, you sell yourself short, you devalue and cheapen yourself, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Someone has to step up and say, it stops right here. I'm going to do it the Lord's way. I'm going to find a wife that pleases, or a husband that pleases the Lord. I'm not going to repeat the sins of my parents. They had a passion for each other. They were sexually attracted to each other. But all throughout the book of Song of Solomon, what you find is that this couple was concerned about doing it the right way. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Look at verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, To everything there is a season, and a time for every purpose under the heaven." A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck up that which was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones. And a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. Look here. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. When is the time to refrain from embracing? Before you get married. I like to watch um, unmarried couples. They behave the way married couples ought to behave. Then I watch married couples and they behave the way unmarried couples ought to behave. I see a husband and wife, they'll sit like three feet from each other in church. Hey, you know what? I don't think you need to get out of hand with it. There's nothing wrong with nestling up to each other in church. Amen? Some men are like, don't touch me! It's church time. Now, woman. Right? And if that's your approach, great. Okay? Minus the now, woman part. You can drop that part, okay? And I see some, um, and not in this church, but I've seen unmarried couples in church, man. It's like you two are embarrassing everyone around you. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to refrain from embracing. We see their passion. Notice number five, their patience, their patience. Look at verse number seven. 
First Samuel chapter, or second, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rows and by the hens of the field. And these, this verse, these words right here that finish out the verse are repeated three times in the book. Look here. That ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. She's talking to Solomon. She finishes what she has to say to Solomon. And she turns to the daughters of Jerusalem, the wives and concubines of Solomon. And she says, I'm going to charge you now that ye not stir up love, nor awake him uh, uh, you stir not up nor wake my love till he pleases. You know what she's saying here? Don't stir up love. Don't force it. Don't force love. Don't do it. I see a lot of people here, man, they like to matchmake. Boy, he would be good with her. And should we set them up on a date? And, and how about a blind date? Let's see if we can't get them together. Oh, look at the two of them. They sure would make a cute couple. Hey, don't force love. The Bible says don't stir it up. Don't stir it up. Here she is trapped in the palace. She wants badly to get out to her beloved. And you know what she says? Let it be. When the time is right, he'll come find me. He'll come get me. There, patience. I see a lot of folks today, and again, I don't mean this in any sort of a hurtful or harmful way, but I see a lot of folks today, they're desperate. They're lonely. They want to be married so bad. Maybe you're here and you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. I've seen it with women in their 50s and 60s. I've seen it with men in their 50s and 60s. They're single and they want so desperate to have love in their life. And they're jumping on dating apps and they're looking to meet people. Let me just quickly say this about dating apps. While it is, uh, sometimes that works out and you do find your true love on a dating site, can I tell you today that especially if you're older, there are d- dating apps out there and there are men and women from other countries who are sitting there as piranhas looking to suck tens of thousands of dollars in a Ponzi scheme from you. I have seen it. I have seen it happen to people in this church. They will. They will. I've seen folks fall in love with someone they've never even met all through dating and texting. Listen, here's my advice to you. If you are here today and you're single and you want to be married, here's my strong advice to you. Get involved in this church. Give your heart to Jesus. Work hard for the Lord. Love the Lord. Read your Bible. Pray. Give that desire to Him. Let Him know that you're ready and willing to get married when the right person comes along. And then let God drop that person in front of you when the time is right. But until then, just serve the Lord and pray He gives you the grace you need to make it through. This couple here, she said to these girls, she said, let's not stir up love. Let's not force it. We see here they had a patience. Number six, lastly, we see His pursuit. His pursuit. Look back at Song of Solomon chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. We're almost done here. Look here. The Bible says, the voice of my beloved. And again, here she's imagining, behold, He cometh leaping upon the mountains Skipping upon the hills, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, now remember where she is. She's inside the palace, and he's outside of the palace. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Look down at verse number 14. Here she's imagining him speaking to her. And here he says, O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret, secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, 
and thy countenance is comely. Here we see that he pursued her. He pursued her. I know that sounds old-fashioned. I know that sounds 1950s and earlier. But can I tell you that it is God's model for the man to pursue the woman, not for the woman to pursue the man. We live in a day and time where Satan is trying to reverse everything. Trying to flip it around. He wants boys to look like girls. He wants girls to look like boys. You can now buy clothes that work for either gender. Right? He wants wants to take all of the things that God's created and flip it around. Including this area here of pursuit. You're a young lady here. Don't pursue a boy. You pray God sends a man along your way. I said a man, not a boy. God sends a man along your way to pursue you. You're a young man here, and you say, well, I'm scared to ask a girl out. And I'd say, well, grow up. And I don't mean that in an unkind way. You pray that God gives you the courage and boldness that you need to be able to ask out the right lady when she comes along. Uh, when I was in Bible college, there were boys there that were single, and they stayed single because they never got up the gumption to ask a girl out on a date. They were chicken. They were afraid. And because of that, uh, some of them are single to this day because they didn't have the gumption. You make sure you pursue. Um, when I was dating Angela, I had fallen in love with her. And I was uh, ready to tell her for the first time that I loved her. So I decided to make a big deal, a big event out of it. I bought a bracelet uh, that was expensive and it said, I love you on it. And I didn't speak Spanish at all at the time. I wrote out this long, long story of how I had fallen in love with her. My roommate was um, Hispanic, so I had him translate the whole thing into Spanish. And I spent the next month memorizing this thing in Spanish. And I took it and I put it in my back pocket and I arranged to take her to Chicago, to Navy Pier. And uh, right there, uh, not too far from Navy Pier, is the uh, St. Lawrence River that flows out into Lake Michigan. And uh, we got on a boat. We had several other adults with us uh, from the college and and I think my parents may have been there. And and, uh, as the boat started to go from the St. Lawrence River into Lake Michigan, the sun was setting there over the uh, lake, and I took Angela to more of a private spot on the back of the boat. It was just her and I, and I started into my story of how I had fallen in love with her. And I started telling her in Spanish, and she had never heard me speak Spanish before other than taco and burrito, amen? (laughs) So here I am waxing eloquent, and my heart is racing. And then I forgot right in the middle of the sentence. But lucky me, I pulled that out of my back pocket, And I read all the way to the bottom, and I got down to the very end, and I told her, I said, Te amo, te amo con todo de mi corazón, which means I love you, I love you with all of my heart. And I looked at her, and she was crying. I gave her the bracelet. She was crying. And she didn't tell me back. (laughs) Te amo. Am I not using the right language here? Did my roommate play a trick on me? And so um, after trying for a few minutes, and her, she, she felt it, but she was so overwhelmed by the moment, she was just speechless. She, she couldn't get it out. And so we went back up to everyone else was, and you know, we interacted with our, our group, and uh, we got in, the, um, got in the car to go home with uh, the chaperone who had taken us up there, and we stopped uh, somewhere to uh, get gas in the car, and 
I went in to go to the restroom, and the chaperone went, went in with me. He said, so how'd it go? I said, well, I told her. He said, well, well did she tell you back? And I said, not yet. <laughs> and he laughed, and he said, the dean of women told him to do that, to torture the boys. And so that night we got back in the dorms and I got my phone and I'm sitting outside my dorm room in an area where, you know, the other boys won't hear me to pick on me, make fun of me. And, and I'm, I'm trying to coax it out of her. And finally, at 1030 at night, sitting in a musty dorm room, my, my, my wife-to-be uh, told me that she loved me back and we, we got to share that moment. But I pursued her. I, I sought after her. And God has given us a wonderful marriage because that marriage was built on the bedrock of the principles laid out in Song of Solomon 2. And I would tell you that if dating is the vehicle that takes you to marriage, then boy, you sure want to date in a way that pleases the Lord. You want to set the stage in a way that pleases the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. This has not been a typical Sunday morning sermon at all, but I hope it's been a help and a challenge to many here. Some of you here today listen to the sermon and you feel regrets in your heart over decisions that you made and maybe you didn't handle yourself just right. And my friend, that's not the point of the message. It's not to throw stones at anyone for any past mistakes that have been made, but it is to encourage our youth. It is to encourage the singles in the church to live godly and righteously in an unrighteous and godless world and a court in a way that pleases the Lord. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, uh, met something in the message today, the Lord spoke to my heart. And, uh, Pastor, pray for me that God will help me uh, to get that thing right. Pastor, pray for me. If that's you, as you hold your hand up, whether you're married or single, young or old, if God's working on your heart, would you just indicate that with a raised hand? There's some things here that were said today. The Lord's working on my heart. Amen. Lord, I pray you'd help us today to take what we've heard, and, Lord, help us to pursue righteousness. Be with us during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.